0: Hi, I'm Akhil Arora
1: and I'm Rohan Nahar.
0: Welcome to The Long Take. This week, we're discussing I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new film from Charlie Kaufman, his first in fires actually, which is based on a book of the same name. It's about a young woman who's thinking of ending things, as the movie title says. Meanwhile, she's also visiting her boyfriend's parents in a remote farm. Uh, But that's not exactly what the movie is about, Rohan, is it?
1: No, and uh, uh, the woman might not even be the protagonist. Uh, is what I think. Uh, I'm glad we didn't start talking about it immediately after uh, watching it, actually. I'm glad we had, like, a day to sleep on it and kind of think back on everything that we saw because there's just so much to unpack in this movie.
0: Yeah, it's also, like, it's intentionally that way, right? He is trying to be willfully inscrutable.
1: Oh, yes, as always. But this time, I feel... um, He's leaning more towards the synecdoche-New York aspects of his filmmaking more than Eternal Sunshine, uh, I feel. Because yeah, Eternal,
0: and more like being John Malkovich or of thing. Yeah, because those were
1: parts. slightly more accessible. Yeah. Also, those weren't directed by him.
0: Yeah, they weren't.
1: Very crucially. The ones that he's directed are more obtuse like uh, synecdoche is a-, a movie that a lot of people hold in the highest regard but i just did not understand uh maybe because i was i watched it when i was very young and i haven't really gone back to it but then i tried again a few years ago and it still it didn't make sense to me i didn't understand it uh and uh anomalies i enjoyed i think that bit. could
0: easily like apply to like this movie as well right for a lot of people i think
1: for a lot of people yes but this one i thoroughly enjoyed i mean it's more uh as expansive as it seems uh, in terms of scope uh it's linear in a way uh it's not very difficult to follow in terms of where the plot, if there is a plot, uh, is heading. And I'm constantly comparing it in my head to Synecdoche, New York, which I thought was a little, uh, it just went over my head, didn't really understand what's happening. And so the themes of it, which are themes that he addresses in basically all his movies. Uh But this one, um, although it's, again, he's going back to the same ideas of What is real, what is imagined, uh, existentialism, specifically uh, from the prism of a male mind, a male mind that kind of thinks that it is uh, almost mythologizes itself. So that's all there. But this one's much, much easier to follow. It's more genre-y also. Uh, it's like on the surface a psychological thriller which I think is um, uh, an easy in point to have in your movie
0: yeah and I think it gives you enough like sort of uh, bits right to pick up on I think what you're getting at is it doesn't like answer everything in the last third which where it completely goes crazy but there's enough like uh, sort of drops or like sort of biscuit pieces dropped along as you're going we're given like that parallel thing with the old janitor um, and the dialogues if you pay attention to them you will get a sense of what is actually happening and then the movie of the plot keeps answering like things here and there the same way you know when she uh renders that poem about bones in the car and then the way it's sort of answered half an hour later in jake's old bedroom
1: yes the bedroom is the key i feel the bedroom is it the bedroom scene happens I think I might be wrong but it happens approximately in the middle of the movie Yeah, and that that scene is the key to kind of binding um, all the ideas of the film there's a lot of clues in that scene and I think that uh, it's uh, for this movie to be on Netflix is hugely important and I never felt the importance of that more than uh, when I was watching that bedroom scene because I paused it uh, and I think a lot of people will pause it just to kind of taken all the information there's a lot of stray clues yeah and it's important actually to pause it i feel because if you don't then a lot of the foreshadowing will simply be meaningless because you will not understand um, a lot of references that happen in the latter half of the film, uh, including the the impromptu critique of woman under the influence and uh, stuff like that.
0: Which know. is the thing here, right? Like he's, he's dropping or including so many cultural references is that you have to have some sort of either basic understanding already of American culture encompass or you have to have the curiosity after the movie to be like okay I'm gonna google these things and you know figure out what it actually meant like without those did t- you google these things I did some of them because um I'm not I don't know about you but I have never engaged with uh Oklahoma the musical right before this but I feel which that's is, the
1: point right because you don't really have to have an understanding of uh, American culture to understand the film. I mean, they're just stray references. Uh, And if you understand the references, it really has no meaning. It's like uh, the the most surface level joke a stand-up comedian would do in his set. He'll just be like, how many people are here from Delhi? And people go, whoa! It doesn't mean anything. Right. So, I feel the references in the film are there just to kind of inform Jake as a character. But why is he he contemplating these cultural things is the question right why is his mind going to Oklahoma why is his mind going to David Foster Wallace why is his mind going to uh, Robert Zemeckis Uh, why is the film's final scene a short for short remake of A Beautiful Mind you know those are the questions that um, we kind of need to talk about I feel because I have a theory on this you go first
0: I actually disagree on the first half of what you said um I actually found it I mean, I was able to, I mean, I understood the film as I watched it, but to under, get the context around it, especially when I started reading about Oklahoma, the musical, I was able to see the parts that he complete, exactly drew from the play, right? Um, Not just the song that plays in the car, which is more of a throwaway reference, but the parts that come later. So this is his final performance, which you said, the short football remake from Beautiful Mind. The song he's singing is exactly from Oklahoma there, right?
1: Yeah, but what, is the, what does the song signify?
0: Right, so the, what the song signifies is, so the Oklahoma. which I'll have to explain Oklahoma music about, which I didn't know myself until yesterday. Um, it's about a young woman in Oklahoma, and sh- her affections are being fought for by two men one who's sort of very uh, smart looking guy who's sort of around her status in society and the other is sort of stocky built and not that good looking who is a farm hired farmhand and these two people sort of wife for her affections and Jake is supposed to be the other guy who's sort of and the thing is how it happens is as they're for affections the, the the guy who is hired in society basically visits the other guy during an important scene and literally tells the other guy to kill himself which is the only way he will gain any Sort of appreciation in society. And that sort of connects to how he feels here is that he feels ignored in society and sort of uh, traumatized and, you know, willfully, like, uh, put down by people. So, that's why the song he's singing is, uh, comes after he's been sort of uh, told by the guy to kill himself, and he's lost like, he's like, there's no way for me to, like, get the affections of this girl unless I do something, like, tragic or, like, big. So, he's sort of sad, which is why the song is called Lonely Room, and he's sitting in his room as uh, our protagonist here is also there sitting, uh, standing and performing. So, which is where it comes from, and then I when i was when i read about oklahoma those parts and the part preceding it which is that ballet thing impromptu in the high school hmm. that again comes from oklahoma as well
1: i mean i connected those dots um, i have no idea about uh what oklahoma is about but then i do you think it uh do you think it changed your uh, opinion of the film or kind of uh, made your experience more uh valuable by going and uh, re- reading more about it it is something i always think about because i avoid uh reading stuff about movies before especially because i want to write with a fresh perspective
0: yeah same here
1: but then afterwards also i would probably read more of a out of like a fact checking uh thing more than like a explanation especially with movies like this because i feel they're so ambiguous uh by design like it's it's clear that Charlie Kaufman does not want you to, uh, I wouldn't say understand, but he do- he wants you to kind of form your own opinion about it. And the purpose of movies like this is so that different people can have different opinions about it and they can mean different things too. although I'm sure that he has answers to everything that he's put in.
0: Yeah, he, ha- he wants us to have his cake and eat it too, right? That's what he's doing here is as you're completely right. Like the movie is supposed to, it's open to interpretation and it's, that's why it's inscrutable because it wants you to like sort of introspect while you're watching that's the like the big ask here right most people when they're watching movies they just want to be like told things and they escape and then you know be like had a good experience and go back to life but this movie is willfully not that it's about you know sitting with it uh, asking yourself questions about what you're seeing and then sort of coming to those answers in like roundabout ways or like whatever ways you can think of
1: but do you think it changed your opinion of the film by going back and reading about it because a lot I'm not gonna of people say, will... i think
0: it changed the film but hmm. i think it sort of expanded uh the understanding of why he had included these references.
1: Uh huh. Because I think a lot of people will uh not maybe read up on it or they will yeah, not
0: that's completely normal, right? Yeah. mean people most people don't want to do homework for a movie. That's not why they watch movies. And
1: I mean I also went by what I already knew. So for me the Oklahoma went um uh, over my head although uh, I haven't read uh, David Foster Wallace but I do know of him which was the sort of point uh, that that Jake was making in the movie yeah. as well <laughs> yeah. right that even people who don't know of David Foster Wallace know certain things about him uh, the same thing
0: would happen with even the Pauline Kael review like most people wouldn't know who she is but when when the young woman launches into a full critique of the movie you can tell she's like being a film critic like, that's you can tell that obvious. she's being
1: a you can tell that she's being a film critic and i mean subliminally if your mind which is what happened with me is i immediately my mind went back to the bedroom and i was like oh i saw pauline kale book right but i think you picked
0: up on that most people won't pick up on that because they might not even know who pauline kale is
1: huh, so exactly so it'll play differently to different people yeah. right but then my mind could make that connection and i'm sure other people's minds could make other connections which is why i feel the bedroom scene is so important and um, i mean it contains so much information about what's happening but then moving beyond the the you know surface level references and the meaning of all that I was wondering what the film was actually about like it's difficult had the same to form I question I
0: was like I want to ask it over tomorrow what do you think Coffin is trying to say like even like for the references I feel like I want to mention here that I think he's also like in a bit showing off that you know his knowledge includes all these different worlds which I found a teeny bit annoying but beyond that yeah the main thing for me is and it comes back to always is as you said what is he trying to say like what is the film actually trying to convey like what what is this why is this old janitor important and why is the story important
1: yeah and i mean i have a take on this which is again i haven't gone and read up on um uh, what like the theories which i'm sure there are a million articles already on the internet and yeah. there are like a million video essays that are currently being made about the movie but um so i have a take on this which is basically uh the janitor is dying and what we are watching is his life flashing before his eyes so what we see are important highlights, like cultural things that have informed him as a person, his own insecurities and fears about himself, uh, about a life that he kind of feels he did not live to its fullest potential, about his personal relationships with his parents uh, and and the young woman who kind of uh, her name changes, right? So yeah, so she... I think
0: for what I had for that part was basically that this this is an amalgamation. This character, young woman character, is an amalgamation of every part love interest he's had who he's not been able to hold on to for different reasons
1: correct so the, he's just looking back at his life uh, if you if you remember the, the pig thing as well it's like a scarring moment probably that he witnessed when he was a young boy and it stayed with him and it's kind of come back to haunt him in his final moments because it was such an impactful thing to kind of watch probably the first time he understood uh, probably his first brush with the idea of death you know
0: yeah and not just death but like what's worse is rot right yeah like, there's one thing to just like have a great life and then pop off hmm. but it's another to sort of be on this uh not even like it doesn't even feel like a decline it just feels like an endless like emptiness right and just like you're just like rotting sitting there you're not able to get out of that place either even going down or going on high just In fixed in a particular like spot which is not moving anywhere
1: which is what is brought up in the film as well right like human beings are the only people who kind of know uh, who have an idea of mortality and hope is something that we've invented to kind of get ourselves through life yeah it's like an invention it's a construct right and i mean in all of charlie kaufman's movies there is this idea of inevitable death right people are hurtling towards their end and he kind of symbolizes this in obviously the hallways are a trademark of his films the endless hallways and stuff which is uh, if you notice the janitor is just cleaning hallways throughout the film when whenever you see him and uh, but I think in this movie it's he there's an added metaphor of the long drive which is
0: again sort of an endless hallway right which is again doesn't go anywhere there's no turns every time they drive anywhere there's no turns Mm -hmm. Just driving, driving, driving straight in a line, and then suddenly they arrive at a place.
1: Yeah, so that all this stuff is stuff is just adding to my like interpretation of this movie. Is that the janitor has? He's either Jake. I mean, to simplify things, or he's just looking back at his own life uh which is on a highway literally and he's just stopping by at important junctures and kind of uh looking i mean again he's a janitor right so it implies that he did not achieve what he originally might have set out to achieve and i mean like obviously charlie kaufman is speaking through his characters and that just makes me feel that you know he's now what he's around 60 and these are ideas that he's contemplating like what is the legacy that he's going to leave behind like do his whatever oscars matter does all the acclaim matter uh what is more important like having those personal relationships in your life those meaningful connections is that more important or is like the material achievements that you've had are those more important and i think that's what the movie is about and again in like all of his movies it's like semi-autobiographical in a way that he knows that he's a great man that for a i mean there's no doubting that for a minute like he is convinced that he's doing something great in his life but now that he's older he's wondering if it means anything
0: right any closing thoughts uh yeah
1: i'm glad that uh after Two we spoke about i'm thinking of ending things
0: i'm just glad that i was i did not remember Two, and you have put that back in my mind (laughs) At the risk
1: of uh, at the risk of losing Rakesh this week, uh, our only listener, we've decided. The risk,
0: what... uh, we lost him fifteen minutes ago. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean I'm so glad that like movies like these exist, even if they're you know sometimes uh, challenging or annoying in some ways, uh, because they're doing what like at least art is meant to do. I feel sometimes is that you know engage. Yeah, like force their sort of viewers to be, you know be like throw that phone away and please watch the movie. On Netflix. Yeah. But like that's the thing, right? again thing, right? He's gonna, only going to get this kind of movie on Netflix because that's the thing. I mean, both Cynic Dog and Anomalisa, the way they bombed at the box office, there's no, there's no way someone's giving him direction, which is why he's even faded five years, right? He almost gave up on direction.
1: Again, I've read like a recent interview, I think a week or so ago, where he said that he's just not interested anymore in making movies, which is yeah, so sad. Yeah, that's the
0: thing, right? In a way that he's Jake then, he's like defeated almost.
1: Yeah. But then again, you know, like a, a, another added layer to this is that throughout his career, he's been like a darling of the critics. Going back to his, um, you know, breakout film Eternal Sunshine, which uh, was directed by Michel Gondry and then Adaptation and then um, Synecdoche and then Anomalisa, all those movies. He's just been beloved by critics. Although uh, I'm not sure. Did, did you know that he's written a book this year?
0: Yeah. And kind. I, I think I mentioned it. I, got, I saw it mentioned somewhere because apparently that also is about like film critics. And in the it's is also, about
1: like, a film critic, yes. So, I mean, his relationship with critics is uh, weird because, on the one hand, he's admired by them, but then on the other, he doesn't feel satisfied with the admiration that he's been getting, which is why he constantly has like this antagonistic relationship with film critics
0: yeah like the one review one movie review he included in his in I'm thinking of ending things is a negative review of uh, otherwise critically acclaimed film
1: yeah and um even in Antkind uh he he calls out Mark Kermode by name uh, and Mark Kermode and Mark Kermode has like tweeted about it he's like uh, Eternal Sunshine is one of my favorite films of all time um uh, just because I did not like one of his movies, he's held that against me for so long. <laughs> like, it's just festered in his mind, like a guy who's been, who has two Academy Awards, you know, and we were discussing this a few weeks ago, I think, with the Bilal Siddiqui, sorry to bring him up again, we were discussing this a few weeks ago with the Bilal Siddiqui thing that, hey man, you're like uh, making a show for red chilies, you've got like crores of rupees, and you're still going around doing petty things like uh, liking tweets that are whatever, in favor of you and stuff like that, but look at Charlie Kaufman. He's got two Academy Awards. He's He's got like, his movies will never be forgotten as long as the world exists. And yet he had it in him to kind of call out Mark Kermode in the book that he wrote, which is just weird to me.
0: Cool. Moving on to the news section then.
1: Yep. So, um, sad news this week. Uh, yeah,
0: really sad news.
1: Chadwick Bozeman died. Uh, I don't know if you were aware that he was unwell. Obviously, he didn't tell anyone. But then we we remember we saw those pictures last year and they were concerning.
0: Yeah, but nobody suspected it on this level, I'm guessing, right? Which is why how extremely shocked the world was to learn that he kept this private. And on top of it, he managed to do these insanely demanding movies while suffering through something like that.
1: Yeah, he basically his career picked up post cancer, which is just astounding to me. And all of his great works were made while he was unwell it's crazy
0: yeah it is insanely crazy like I can't even I don't even know what goes into obviously making a Marvel movie but we can imagine the stresses involved the mental and the physical and to do Black Panther and Infinity War and Endgame and to do like some indies between that as well to basically have no time to yourself I have no idea how he he was managing that workload yeah like Chad Bozeman is the real superhero not Black Panther
1: yeah he's left behind a legacy that's Just incredible. We were talking about, uh, obviously, Sushant Singh Rajput recently. What a uh, promising career cut short. And uh, Chadwick's was, I think, just as promising. I mean, the movies that he's done, uh, if they're an indication of the career that he would have had, very sad. Uh, Obviously, to a lot of people, Black Panther meant so much. Uh, and I think it's going to mean even more now.
0: And then not just the m- kind of movies he did, but what he also did outside those movies, right? Like, since his death, there have been like endless stories shared o- o- about him, obviously. And you can see what he stood for in every single one of those stories that comes out, be it the one where he highlights a man who stopped a gunman or a white supremacist gunman at-, at the MTV awards, or the stories he did when he went on set and he did not see representation for Africa men's and he literally spoke out about it uh like you just you see what the man was about yeah. and he was like on a mission to make sure that the industry was better off when he was like gone and he knew he was gonna be gone soon right so he was yeah mo- even more actively doing it
1: all the children that he met in hospital uh while being unwell himself it's sad I mean again to Uh, come back to this theme of, you know, mortality that we discussed a few minutes ago. You're right, he knew that he was dying. And I think that gave him more of a purpose in life to kind of achieve as much as he could, and leave behind a legacy that you know can be admired for years and years. And if you just look at the films that he's done, uh Black Panther is an icon, obviously. But then he's played three real-life black icons as well. He's played Jackie Robinson, who was the first black player in the uh, MLB. He's played uh, James Brown, the singer, and he's played uh, Thurgood Marshall, the Supreme Court um, judge. And uh, I think all those movies are um, equally good. They're not like uh, remarkable classics, but then they're important documentations of like important historical figures, which I feel is uh, it's unusual for one person to have played three of them, you know. And especially since he's not really made a lot of movies. He's made, like, a dozen movies, out of which three of them or four of them are Marvel movies.
0: Yeah, I think that goes to say that he was actively looking for these two kind of roles, right? He wanted to um, make sure that his activism wasn't just off the screen, but even on the screen as much as possible. Like, that even goes... Like the stories which have come out about, you know, how he stressed on what kind of, uh, accent he would have in Black Panther. Like those kind of things that, you know, you wouldn't think that actors would go so, push so far about. Uh, but he went for it, even though he was like a new, newbie to the Marvel universe. He was adamant that he, that was how it was going to happen.
1: Which is what is so uh, admirable to me, you know, like any normal person, if they get a great job, that would be the end of it. They'd be grateful, they'd be happy, and then they'd move on. They'd listen and take orders and stuff like that. But this guy, he got the great job. He possibly got millions of dollars. And then he kind of almost risked it all to uh, stand up for what he believed in which was representation, empowerment, and uh, things that, you know, are more important than... Yeah, things
0: that are more important than, you know, making movies. That's what he did. Like, he's, just, he's just not just a great movie star, which is what uh, being a celebrated a lot, but he was also a great man.
1: Yeah. And uh, the last film that I watched of his was The Five Bloods. Phenomenal film. Obviously, he has one more movie uh, due out also on Netflix. Um, But The Five Bloods, he plays a character who is dead and on uh he's like a spiritual guide so it kind of makes that movie all the more sentimental now
0: hmm. cool i think it's time to move on to the uh, final section of the podcast yep what we watched this week
1: i mean i couldn't help but help myself i went back and watched black panther again which was i did it the same day um one of my favorite marvel movies uh, and Chadwick's obviously. I think it's one of the
0: best Marvel movies
1: by far. Yeah, one of the best Marvel movies. Top three for sure. Um, I mean, we don't talk about the bad CGI in Black Panther. It's something that we just quietly just agreed to kind of look the other way because of how good the movie is. But then, yeah, I watched it again. Uh, so I watched it twice in theaters. Including IMAX, and uh, I watched it again now, and I was just the CGI really stands out. I mean, as emotionally involved as I was this time, uh, I couldn't help but ignore, ignore like notice. The... Yeah, I think if
0: we've been trained on such a insane level of CGI now, with because it's so commonplace. Uh that we just expect that kind of level from every movie yeah uh,
1: what else did I watch I watched this British uh, comedy called Get Duked on Amazon which is like a fun Edgar Wright uh, homage set in the Scottish Highlands, a uh, neat kind of uh, genre film about four kids uh, who are being hunted by a gunman in the Scottish Highlands, a uh, sort of on metaphor for like Brexit and the Scottish referendum and stuff <laughs> like that. It's really, really good. Did you watch this one?
0: No, I heard about it. I think this was called like Boys in the Wood, right? Initially.
1: It it was called yeah. Boys in the Wood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so i and read then.
0: reviews, but it was still called that, uh, but I haven't seen it. It's
1: damn good. It's damn fun. Uh, I also watched uh, Matthias and Maxime, which is the new movie by uh, Xavier Dolan, uh, who's this uh, Canadian filmmaker who I really, really admire. He, he he He's like some sort of a wunderkind. He was 19 when he kind of broke out with his first movie at Cannes. And uh, peaked with uh, a film called Mommy in 2014. And he's kind of been struggling to attain that early success ever since. And all of his movies are about the same thing, by the way. They're all about, like, mother son relationships uh you know uh, uh that queer cinema because he is uh gay uh, so there's that as well and matthias and maxim is about uh, two childhood friends uh, who are asked to participate in this uh, uh student film uh, which requires them to kiss and when they do uh, they kind of realize that their feelings for each other uh, are deeper than just friendship and it kind of forces them to kind of question their uh sexuality so i think this is a nice return to form for him he's really really uh good uh and i'll i mean i'll watch whatever he does so yeah what do you watch
0: uh, so i didn't watch a lot this week because i was busy with the new avengers game that launched mm-hmm. putting a lot of hours in for the review there uh so the only highlight for me this week was uh i started lovecraft country the new hbo show uh have you heard about this yeah.
1: oh yeah yes 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 but I'm just gonna wait for uh, it to kind of I'm gonna wait a few weeks and then I'm gonna watch it in one go instead of just watching every week right, because I'm it, probably right? gonna yeah I'm probably gonna write about it and then if I start watching now I'll probably forget by the time I'm ready to write so I'm just gonna mm-hmm. wait
0: cool. so yeah so this it's based in a book again uh, which sort of mixes uh, Lovecraftian horror obviously as the title says uh, but then places that in the world of Jim Crow's era American South, so it's like sort of two horrors then, because it's what horrors of racism combined with the horrors of like Lovecraftian monsters, and it it completely has that. It's not like metaphorical. There are actual monsters in the show. So there's giant monsters. There's even magic. uh, There's haunted houses. Um, it has all of what you can expect from like a, that kind of genre space. But then it's mixed with like a real sort of uh, grounded storytelling of how, what it's like to be an African-American in uh, that kind of environment, right? Living in that kind of... So it's, it becomes like doubly horror for these people because they're dealing with just like kind of an onslaught of sort of horrors from all sides. Uh It mixes that really well. Uh, it's only been three episodes, but I've enjoyed most of that. I mean, I, obviously, someone who enjoys like drama and enjoy, enjoy the Jim Crow parts of it more than the... Lovecraft and parts of it, but they're like an added sort of like spice for me over the top. Uh, cause it's just like, it creates like such a, what do you say? Like a, like the challenge for these protagonists, right? Because that you know these, whenever these sort of black people try anything, uh, they even try to like sort of stand up for themselves they're faced with like such a backlash like this is not an environment that is built for them this is not a country that's built for them and they could like be killed any minute or like sometimes worse than killed
1: yeah i mean i'm looking forward to it it's been on my radar for months and months and i'm just gonna watch it when it uh nears its finale but you know there's something i've always wanted to ask and kind of discuss is that what is your opinion about genre films particularly horror thriller science fiction dealing with themes of racism uh because the question that kind of pops in my mind immediately when i watch something like get out or even watchmen is that do we need to kind of quote these stories uh in genre storytelling, aren't they horrific enough in real life?
0: So, uh, on a content level, I think it's a different angle, but the angle that... I see it in is it makes it more accessible uh, and that's important. I think, I mean, as much as we, as critics, love that, you know, movies which are, you know, like, say, I am thinking of ending things, what we just talked about. uh, We need more mainstream stuff to deal with these themes because otherwise it just becomes like two separate worlds where one world is entirely like Marvel level stuff and the other world is this like Handmaid's level stuff, right? And there's no connection between the two and that's that's a sad situation to be in. So which is why like something like, you know, like a parasite is a very mainstream movie because of, you know, its thriller sort of uh, mechanics. But then it's a great movie because of its social satire, right? So it's clever in the way it delivers it, which is why it became so accessible, which is why it could win like an Oscar. Because if if you just do the level, the grounded level thing, which is the social satire, you're going to end up being shoplifters and not win the Oscar. To get the Oscar sadly, which is the world we live in. You have to sort of coat, uh, as you said, with a layer of, you know, which gets it to masses. And that's why I think it's good that stuff like Love Car Country or Get Out or, you know, other stuff like that exists.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why uh, Ryan Kugler did Fruitvale, but only came into like public consciousness <laughs> after he did Black Panther.
0: Yeah, and even though people have seen Black Panther, like even those people who loved Black Panther, you cannot convince them to go and see Fruitvale. They will not do it. So that's just how it is. Like no matter what people do uh, after that or before their sort of mainstream outbreak, it still becomes, it still remains under the radar forever.
1: You know, Charlie Kaufman's done like a lot of ghostwriting for these big studio movies.
0: Mm, I did not know that. What kind of stuff has he touched
1: Uh, So a lot of it is obviously uncredited, but uh, he recently uh, wrote the screenplay for uh, the upcoming um, Doug Lyman uh, young adult thriller called Chaos Walking, which is bonkers to me. It's like Noah Baumbach going and doing a Madagascar.
0: I think it's a case of Kaufman having to sustain himself, right, financially. Like, you cannot otherwise direct three well two box office bombs third is not going to be because it's on netflix hmm. uh otherwise it would it would be um so yeah you just can't sustain yourself with three directoral ventures over 11 years right it's impossible yeah i mean yeah you, you can if they're like nolan movies but you can't with these kind of movies that's what i want to say yeah, <laughs> yeah. cool I think that's good enough for this episode yeah all right uh, thanks for tuning in. You can find the long take at the long take pod on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, you can write to us at the take pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review and we will see you next week.